Well, good morning, and welcome to the second installment of our One Nation Under God series. And I heard a little whisper in the group as I walked past to come up here when I got to the spot there in the bumper where we're supposed to say under God and nothing happened. Everybody said, under God, under their breath, because we're so used to saying those words. We're so used to the idea that we are one nation under God, but we leave a question mark at the end of that phrase that we're so used to saying because we have to ask ourselves the question, are we still truly a nation under God? Those of us who follow Jesus would say yes and say amen. For those of us who have not yet explored a life with Jesus yet, that could be a real question. And so as V said earlier, we're going to be exploring the idea of dual citizenship, being citizens of two kingdoms, as it were. And we'll get into that a little bit more in the next few minutes as we discover the idea um, I thought about this story in the scripture. In fact, you find it in Matthew 22, um, where Jesus is having a, a discussion with some religious leaders, and they are trying to trap him. I don't know if you've heard this story or read this story before. They're trying to trap him politically so that they can arrest him. And the way they do it is they ask him if it is right for them as Jews, and these are religious leaders in the Jewish faith, they ask him whether it's right for them as Jews to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, back in those times, people who were conquered by the Romans, and the Romans were the, uh, the empire of the day, they had conquered all these peoples and had usurped all these kingdoms and all these lands, and Romans would charge a tax to people that they had conquered. So not only were people conquered, but they were taxed by the Romans, and they didn't have taxation with representation. They just had the taxation part. They didn't get to represent, they didn't get to talk about how the Roman Empire was going to be run. Very different from our state of affairs here in the United States, even as divided as our country seems to be politically, still very different. But I was thinking about this story and thinking about in Matthew 22, how Jesus is being put to the test. And basically their question for him is, should we pay taxes? Should we pay this tax that the Romans who are oppressing us are charging against us? Now, if Jesus had said yes, if Jesus had said yes, we should pay taxes, then they could have caught him because he would have been seen as a traitor to his people Israel and catering to the Romans, right? If he had said no, what would have happened? He would have been seen as an enemy of the state. And so whether he said yes or no, he was in a bit of a sticky wicket. So how does Jesus respond? As they pulled out a coin and he asked them, give me one of the coins, show me whose picture and inscription are on it. Jesus says this very simply and wisely. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. A beautiful, shining example of what it means to be a member of two kingdoms. We probably struggle with this more than we realize. The idea that we are both members of a civil, political kingdom, and we vote, and we pay taxes to that kingdom, and we're also members of the kingdom of heaven. Now, how do we get into the kingdom of heaven? We believe and trust that our Savior, Jesus, died for us and took away all of our sins in the eyes of who? Our Father God who created us, right? 
And in the same way, when he rose again from the grave and we trust in him, we begin to follow him in life. That makes us a member of his kingdom. A kingdom is any place where the king has authority, right? So we are members of the kingdom of God. And that's whether we're in the United States or over in Europe or over in Asia or up on the moon. doesn't make any difference. We are members of the kingdom of God. But then the question becomes, How do we, in these days and times, maintain and balance those relationships against each other, especially in an environment of political unrest? Now, you don't have to go too far to see evidence of this. Just this week in the news, there are major Democrats in the news who are arguing. There are Republicans in the news who, within their own party, are arguing, and it's making the news. And the media loves it because they love whenever there's drama inside a political party when people who should be on the same page are doing what? Are fighting against each other. Not to mention the fight they have when it actually gets into the political season. Before we even get to the next presidential election, we've got political parties who are fighting on the inside. So that leads us to the question, again, when we see so much discord... How do we live? How do we serve? How do we function as members of God's kingdom along with the kingdom of this world that is in a time of political unrest? I want to show you the scripture. And this is Paul talking to the Romans, the the Roman church there that had kind of a combination of Jews and Romans, Jews and Greeks in the church. He says this, he says, be a good citizen All governments are under God. And so far as there is peace and order, it's God's order. Now, what I want you to to do is be challenged by this. The idea that the political structure we have, albeit broken and difficult as it is these days, is still a part of God's plan. Look at what the scripture says. In so far as there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen within that order. If you're irresponsible to the state, then you're irresponsible with God, and God will hold you responsible. How? Through the laws and the law enforcement of the state in which you live, the political environment in which you live. Uh, The Bible says duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something or break what? Break the law, right? Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. He goes on and says, do you want to be on good terms with the government? Then be a responsible citizen. You'll get on just fine. The government working to your advantage. Now, you don't have to raise your hand to this, but how many people in the room feel like the government is working to your advantage right now? Sometimes it feels like it. Okay, there's a couple in the room. Sometimes it feels like it. Sometimes it doesn't. It depends on your perspective, and it depends on how you see the function of the whole government, right? There are some things that government provides that are actually helpful. And sometimes we forget about those things when we're focused on the things that aren't, right? But what I want to challenge us with through the scripture today is that the government is actually an instrument of God. It is an institution that is created and allowed by God to exist. And there are reasons for that. Uh, The Bible goes on and says the police aren't there just to be admired in their uniforms, though our police have striking uniforms, especially in Naperville. I'll show you in a minute. God also has an interest in keeping order, and he uses them to do it. God uses the instrument of the state to restrain evil, to keep badness 
under control so that those of us who are seeking peace and order have a fighting chance. Think about if we didn't have our armed forces, if we didn't have our police, our first responders, what would life be like? It would be like an episode of The Walking Dead, wouldn't it? It would be off the chart, out of control, utter chaos, wouldn't it? So you can see the value of the structure and the order that God puts in place when he establishes governments. In fact, here are a couple of Naperville's uh, finest, our police officers there, uh, with a youngster at one of the touch-a-truck events in the area. As much as these guys at the Naperville Police Department do to connect with our community, they also do the difficult work of keeping order in Naperville. You might not think Naperville is a place where crime happens. It does. You might not think that there are drugs here, that there's theft here, that there's all kinds of worse crimes here. There are. And the Naperville police are on 24-7 to help us with that and to maintain order. We can look in the scripture, though, and find evidence that their institution comes from God. Whether the elected fish officials over and in charge of those institutions are godly people or not, whether they act like godly people or not, the institution through which they serve is a godly instrument. It's one that comes from him. Look at what the scripture goes on and says here as Paul talks. He says, that's why you must live responsibly, not just to avoid punishment in your society, but also why? Because it's the right way to live, because it's the right thing to do. That's also why you pay taxes. Check this out. Taxes hurt sometimes, right? It's why we pay taxes so that an orderly way of life may be maintained. What does that mean? In other translations, it means that those who give their full time to governing in the secular world, in society that isn't a part of the church, those who give their full time to governance need to be taken care of and their families need to be taken care of. That's why they're compensated. That's one reason why we pay taxes. Scripture says, fulfill your obligations as a citizen. Yes, as Christians, we have obligations as citizens. Now, what are those? Pay your taxes. Pay your own bills. Don't find yourself going into debt uh, out of neglect. Live responsibly and respect your leaders, the Bible says. It's the idea that as Americans... We understand where the concept of government comes from, and we understand that in a free nation, we have the responsibility to participate in that free nation as citizens. Now, why do we say this, and why are we settling at this, why are we setting this sort of uh, groundwork and baseline here? Well, the idea is tempting for us sometimes as Christians to pull away from the secular society around us and try to be separate from it. The idea is sometimes we're tempted to separate ourselves and to pull away from the society and not participate in it. To be tempted to believe that we shouldn't be police officers or that we shouldn't run for office or that we shouldn't participate in governance um, on a, a secular level, as it were. But there could be nothing further from the truth than that. In fact, as the one who created government and puts it in place... God encourages Christ followers to step up and lead in the government and through the government. That is why we become teachers in non-Christian or secular public schools. That's why we go and, and put ourselves out there and run for office like the school council, the city council. That's why we govern 
And that's why we join the police force and the fire department. It's why we do what we do to support the society that God has given us. Those are examples of what it means to be in the secular kingdom or what the church has called in the past the left-hand kingdom of these two kingdoms. But now as we turn to the right hand, to the other side, and look at God's kingdom, look at what Peter says about that. He says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. The idea becomes this, as we are members of this secular society and we vote and we pay taxes and we run for office and we go to police academy and we serve and we teach, as we do all these things, we are God's voice in the construct of those institutions. God uses us to speak the truth of Jesus as we serve and as we're there intermingled in our society. Look at that night and day difference that's spoken, that's quoted there in the message. The idea of speaking out for him because there's a night and day difference within me is God's calling for me as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So the calling is rather twofold. The calling and the idea of being a member of two kingdoms is pretty clearly be a citizen and take the faith that God has given you in Jesus and share it. Don't keep it to yourself. Let what you do and how you serve and let the way you are in your secular society bear witness to the fact that there is a God and that he loves us and that he gave us his son, Jesus. Here's an interesting example out of history. I don't know if you've ever seen or read the story of Alexander Hamilton before. Now, you could go to Broadway and see a little bit of it on stage, right? But the way Alexander Hamilton's life ended is not very well known. He was one of the founding fathers, as it were, and he found himself involved in a political spat in the news, in the media of the time. And this would have been about right at about 1800. In 1800, Thomas Jefferson was the president of the United States, and his vice president was Aaron Burr. You probably wouldn't recognize that name so much except from history class, Aaron Burr, right? So Hamilton had some pretty sharp criticisms for Aaron Burr and in fact wrote about them in the press. So much so that he and Aaron Burr got into such a deep political spat that Aaron Burr decided to issue a challenge for a duel to Alexander Hamilton. Now back in those times, duels were legal. And here's how they worked. If somebody slandered you or talked bad about you in the press, you could issue a challenge for a duel, and the two of you would meet together at a place that was reserved and away from the rest of the populace, so you couldn't just go out in the suburbs. You had to find a remote place, right? And each person was called, who was involved in the duel was called the principal. The principal each got one gun with one shot in it. You didn't have Glock 9s back then where you could just pop off a whole bunch of rounds at each other. You had one shot. But then you had a second person who stood alongside the principal and actually either prepared the gun for the second shot or had a second single load musket, a pistol ready to hand in for the second shot. And there were two. 
But the way you could work out your troubles, if you had a very political spat in the media, is you could face each other at a certain number of, of paces and take the first shot into the ground in front of your, uh, the person that you are opposing. And in doing so, what you're saying to that person is, I'm not afraid of you. I'm here to meet the challenge that you've put before me, but I'm not ready to die for that challenge. And so in a lot of cases, in a lot of duels, guys, we get together and point these guns at the ground in front of each other, fire off that first shot, and then do the same with the second shot. As long as they fired at the ground, they were signaling their intention to stand up to their opponent, but not die for or kill their opponent for the issue at stake. In fact, it's written in history that Alexander Hamilton participated in at least 10 different duels before he got to Aaron Burr. Is that crazy? It's almost like this was a, a hobby for these guys, right? They were talking to each other through the press. Now, what does that sound like? Does that sound like today at all? And yet Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton got together for this duel on this one fateful day. And for some reason, Hamilton didn't fire at the ground on the first shot. What we don't know is if he fired first or not. History records two different stories. One story is that Hamilton fired at a tree over Burr's head, and Burr took that as a signal to shoot at Hamilton. Because why? Hamilton didn't fire into the ground. And so whether Hamilton shot first or second, we don't know. We think that Aaron Burr shot first and that Hamilton pulled the trigger as he was being impacted by the ball. Therefore, going like this and shooting up into the tree. We don't know. It could be that Hamilton was just a terrible shot. But even if he was a terrible shot, he knew the rules. He knew the rules that he needed to fire into the ground. And for some strange reason, he didn't do that. So that's how Alexander Hamilton died. Now, maybe you don't recognize him from that story, but if you pull out a $10 bill, you're going to see his face on it. That's how famous this guy was, and that's how he died. He died in a political duel. Now, duels are no longer legal, obviously, but we have duels in the press every day, don't we? And the shots that we take at each other in the press, and I say we as Americans... The shots that we take at each other in the press can be just as damaging as a physical ball. The kingdom of God is not built this way. In fact, Alexander Hamilton said that he opposed dueling. He wrote a letter to a friend and said he opposed dueling right before he had this duel for practical and religious reasons. Now, the religious reasons kind of, you know, go as, uh, as unsaid. You know, he doesn't want to kill another person. The practical reasons were he had a wife and children. He didn't want to die for this cause of governance. And yet he ended up dying in the midst of a battle between two people who went outside their faith, found themselves so deep in the political realm that somebody got killed. For us, we look at the balance between the two kingdoms as a matter of life and death in the kingdom of God and as a matter of opportunity in the kingdom of the political realm. Look at what the scripture says on this. 
Peter says, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves too cozy in it. Don't get so involved in the political world from the heart that you give away your citizenship in the kingdom of God from your heart. Don't get cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. In other words, don't sell your soul to the devil for political reasons. He says, live an exemplary life among natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Let me ask you a question. Is our society prejudiced against Christians these days? How? What are Christians in the eyes of our society these days? Radicals. People who are too far off the center, too extreme. Especially if you live out your faith and you're public about it, right? But the scripture says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about society's view. Be such a good follower of Jesus in the world around you by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the choices the Holy Spirit leads you to make. Let your actions refute the prejudices of the secular society in which you live. And then it says, then there'll be one over to God's side and there to join in the celebration when he arrives. So in other words, God plans to use you and me as members of his kingdom to behave in such a way in the secular kingdom, in the secular society in which we live, so that he receives glory and honor. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean sometimes we're going to have political shots taken at us, especially if we're headed into an election season and someone asks us, how do you think you're going to vote? And why would you vote that way? Sometimes voting happens on Facebook. Sometimes we find ourselves in conversations in social media, in the public realm, that get us in trouble and get us to a point where we have discord and disagreements with friends and with family and with people who participate in it. Is there a way to be involved in politics and yet be a follower of Jesus? Yes, there is. Remember which kingdom comes first. Remember which kingdom comes first. Look at what Peter says. Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities. This is just like what Paul was saying. Whatever their level, they are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good, you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. This is Eugene's Peterson message version of the Bible. I love that language. People have bought into the idea that Christians are dangerous. If we're following Jesus, we're going to be anything but dangerous. If we're following Jesus, we're going to be the light of the world. A world characterized by darkness, political, social, emotional, financial, relational. And in that sense, Jesus works through us the peace that passes all understanding, the peace he gives, like we talked about last week. He works through us to demonstrate what true peace is, no matter who gets elected. The scripture says, exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Everyone you meet, treat them with dignity, the Bible says. Love your spiritual family. 
Engage with your spiritual family. Find out how each other's doing. Spend time together with each other. Check on each other and see how life is going in the political world for them. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God, the Bible says, and respect the government. Okay, pop quiz time. Why do we respect the government? Is it because the government behaves? Why do we respect them? It's okay, you can say it out loud. Because God did what? God created the government, didn't he? Now, whether people are good stewards of the government or not, God is the one who made it. He is the one who created the structure of it. And he allows it on this earth and has it in place on this earth as an instrument to restrain evil, right? But ultimately, it's the kingdom of God that will bring not just the restraint of evil, but what? Peace. The peace of God which passes understanding. And that only comes through who? Through Jesus, right? So the idea is this. Participate in politics. Do it as a follower of Jesus, not as a combatant. Not at one who intends to fire the ground in front of those in front of us. But as one who engages the way Jesus did. Remember the story at the beginning with the denarius. Jesus didn't engage in an argument, did he? He just simply told the truth. The truth was engage in the political world in which you're involved, in which you live, and yet remember that your first citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Look at what else Jesus says. This is in John 17. He's praying to his heavenly father for his disciples and for us. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. He says, my prayer is not that you take them, us, out of the world. Not, God, that you take us out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one while they stay in the world. You see the difference? He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. You've heard the phrase, be in the world and not of it. This is kind of where that comes from. It's the idea that we can be here and be fully engaged, and yet primarily, firstly, be kingdoms of heaven. Look at the way Jesus interacted with the Roman Empire. Jesus was halfway expected to rise up as an insurrectionist and fight against the Romans. And that's why when he didn't do that, and he came at them instead in peace, the Israelites, Israel, was confused. They were looking for an insurrectionist. And instead, they got someone who championed peace. Jesus went all the way through the system, all the way through the Roman system to the cross. And then what happened to Jesus after he went to the cross? He conquered death through and above the political system. You see how that works? And so for us, the question is this, as we get ready to close, which kingdom comes first for us? Be in the political kingdom. Be in the civil world. And yet remember where you are first a citizen. You are a member, a subject, a servant, a prince, a princess in the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? 
Dear God, thank you so much for giving us the government. Thank you for giving us the leaders we have. Even sometimes as we disagree with them, it gives us peace, God, to acknowledge that you made government and that you established government for specific reasons, to, res to restrain evil, to restrain bad action, and to promote peace and the common good. We know as kingdoms of citizens, kingdoms and citizens of heaven, that peace only comes in one way. It comes through Jesus, the one who gives us peace that is beyond our mere understanding. And it is peace that's outside of the political world. We know that you have made us as vehicles, as instruments of that peace in the political world, which we live. So God, as we come full uh, face to the gospel message of Jesus today and look Jesus right in the eye, understand him, follow him, see what he does. God, give us through the Holy Spirit the choices, the opportunities, and the actions that would demonstrate your peace, especially in a world of unrest. We are so grateful to you, God. We're so thankful for who you are, for the power you bring, into our lives every single day. Go before us and lead us. In this world, as we follow you, we trust in you. Your name we pray, together we say, amen.